Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the Life and Podcast series. On this episode, Life and Healthcare, we will be discussing Dean Teague's career transitions and life experiences during his time in the Navy, and we will also walk through his journey to becoming CEO of Calvert Health Hospital. Thanks again for tuning in, and I hope you enjoy our conversation. So let's go ahead and start off with your experience with the Navy. Okay. And if you want to discuss maybe what led you to that opportunity and sure. that role. Yeah. Yeah. So the opportunity kind of came out of the fact that I didn't do very well in high school. You know, I, I was a person who uh, understood that, you know, education was important. But my idea of an education was more about what can I do to ensure that I can earn a living, not necessarily book smarts. Um, I, uh, I was a senior in high school coming up my senior year my father asked me what I was going to do when I finished high school and told him that I was you know thinking about maybe going to community college or uh, you know continuing to work in the gas station I worked at and uh, there was a resounding uh, no you're not going to do that because when you turn 18 you're not going to work in the gas station I'm not having you do that the rest of your life okay <laughs> I said what options do I have and he gave me three uh, army uh, navy and marines uh, Air Force wasn't a, uh, in the cards because he had been in the Air Force for three years, and uh, he wanted to ensure that I was able to do something that would be a little more around the world than just in our backyard. Uh, sure. So I went in the Navy. Uh, I actually signed up when I was 17. On my 17th birthday is when I signed up. Uh, and I was on delayed entry for uh, about nine months uh, and went in right out of high school. Um, I had wanted to be an aviation electronics technician, uh, but again, you need a lot of math for that, and I didn't study math that well. So I wanted to become a hospital corpsman, and uh, I knew that I could you know, help people and take care of people, and uh, that's kind of how I ended up in the Navy. I had to get a high school diploma, which I got thanks to my mom and dad pushing me to get that straight CD <laughs> level, um, and, uh, and I went in the Navy, and I never looked back. It was something I wanted to do. Love it. So hospital corpsman, yep. right? So yeah. what I know as far as your experience in the Navy is not so much that, but more so your diving experience. Yeah. So maybe what, what led you there? Or was that a few years down the road? Uh, no. I, I actually, what happened was I, I, I didn't realize that the Navy hospital corpsman spent a lot of time with the Marines. Uh, and so I had a tour of duty at Paris Island. Uh, Navy Hospital Beaufort, and then I had a tour at Camp Lejeune. Uh, when I went in to figure out where they were going to send me to, um, I got sent out to 2nd Recon Battalion to take the test to see if I could be a recon corpsman, a recon marine. Uh-huh. And uh, I failed the test miserably. Uh, that entire day, I did not complete one thing they threw at me. But uh, at the end of the day, what I didn't do is I didn't quit. And there was a gentleman there who gave me a break and said, look, this guy never quit no matter what we threw at him. Let's Give me a week with him, I'll get him fit, we'll take the test. A week later, I took the test and passed it. So I spent four years uh, at Camp Lejeune. I was with Bravo Company, 2nd Platoon. Uh, they sent me to jump school and survival school, learned how to scuba dive. Um, and I really loved uh, the underwater aspect of things. Um, met a beautiful lady along the way named Pam. Got married while we were down at Camp Lejeune. And uh, I knew that um, I probably wanted to stay in the Navy, so I extended to go to Navy dive school, uh, where... I went down to Panama City, Florida. I went through uh, second class school, uh, dive and med tech school, and then first class school all at the same time. So I learned how to do salvage, mixed gas, 
um, as well as the medical side of it. Somebody who was in the chamber with the bends, I was the person who was going to take care of them. Wow. <laughs> um, and, you know, I've done that a number of times. Uh, but I, so I, we went to Washington State for a couple of years. Uh, we worked, I worked out of Keyport, um, the torpedo uh, capital of the world where they make all the Navy torpedoes. And then I went back to school to be a saturation diver. Uh, went down back to Panama City, uh, got picked up for projects. Uh, we worked out at Mare Island for about five years, uh, where I was with uh, Team 2. Uh, actually, I'm sorry, it was Team 5. And uh, we did, I did 10 missions that I can think of. Uh, and um, it was all, you know, classified stuff that we were sure. doing. Yeah. Uh, but it was worth it. I loved doing dives five, 600 feet. I wouldn't think twice about it. So That's awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it was. Yeah. So, uh, what I'm trying to get a better sense of is how how did your relationships, es- essentially your your wife at the time, play into those decisions that you had as far as pursuing your uh, diving yeah. experiences early on? And so, uh, my wife at the time, who's still my lovely wife <laughs> after 33 years. Um, <laughs> She was very supportive of me. Um, I, uh, you know, when I went to dive school, I remember saying clear as a bell, I would never be a saturation diver. It's dangerous. It's hard on the body. And uh, two and a half years later, I'm told her I really want to go to saturation school. I have an opportunity here. Um, And she supported me. She always has. Um, We, you know, she's always been there no matter what decision I made uh, and supported it. So, um you know, Caitlin came along when we were in California. She was born at Alta uh-huh. Bates in Berkeley, uh, and that kind of changed my mindset. I left. Uh, I left Pam and Kate when Caitlin was about three or four days old, uh, and I was gone for over three months with no contact whatsoever. And, um, when I came back, uh, it was it was time for me to figure out I needed to go to school. Yeah, sure. Uh, you know, I was 28 years old, uh, and the Navy decided they would send me to college to the University of Maryland University College. Mm-hmm. And then I got commissioned as an incident in the Medical Service Corps after I uh, graduated from school. And I did that for 10 years, and then I actually retired from the Navy, which was 14 years ago now. Okay. Yep. Gotcha. So you mentioned California. Yeah. Where else have you been as far as domestically, and what maybe what brought you there? What What did you love? Yeah. Where, I mean, where do you think you'll be? I mean, I guess we know where you are now. Yeah. But... Uh, so on the West Coast, we were in Washington State and in California, and both of them were beautiful places, no, you know, no doubt. Um, but our family was all back east, so we wanted to come back east. Uh, again, I was at Camp Lejeune. I was at uh, Bethesda Navy for a while. Um, I was at uh, Navy Hospital Groton, Connecticut uh, for two years, almost three. Uh, and then we went to Italy. We lived in uh, Naples, Italy for three years. Uh, <laughs> Caitlin really enjoyed it. Pam and I both enjoyed it. It was a wonderful place to be, uh, great people. And then came back, and I spent a lot of time in Lithuania, Latvia, and Estonia. Um, they were trying to get into NATO at the time, and I was working uh, as one of the Navy um, Medical Service Corps guys who was helping them with their battlefield medics and um, uh, hospital programs. Um, so they actually did make it into NATO, and uh, I, I, you know, not all because of me, of course, but <laughs> it was cool to do it. Uh, to spend time there. Um, so uh, then I came back. I was on the hospital ship Comfort as a side job from being at Bethesda. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I took the Comfort over to Lithuania, Latvia, and Estonia. We were gone for four months then came back. And then uh, Christmas, right after Christmas, it was January the 7th, 2003, we pulled up to the toll booth in Baltimore. I looked over and the Comfort, uh, the boiler was lit off. 
So I knew we were getting ready to go somewhere. Uh, and this whole thing in Iraq was really bubbling over. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I left, I believe it was January the 19th, uh, 2003, uh, to go to uh, Diego Garcia first to get equipment and supplies, and then we went up into the Persian Gulf. And uh, I, I spent uh, about four, four months or so, five months or so up there. Um, my one of the biggest jobs I had was well, me and another guy, uh, Chris Klein. He was the uh, line officer on board. We were responsible for getting the Iraqi prisoners back from the hospital ship back into their country. And so I got to fly in a number of times to you know drop off wounded prisoners that had been healed by Americans. Uh-huh. Um, I came back from there, and I actually that's when I went to work at the White House Medical Unit. Uh-huh. Uh, I worked for the physician of the president, uh, Dr. Tubb, uh, General Tubb, Air Force General. He's a great guy. What years were the, was that? 2003 to 2006. Cool. Um, I got to work for President Bush 43. Uh, I met President Bush 41 a number of times. <laughs> um, uh, I got to go bike riding with him. There was, a, there was some really cool stuff. I got yeah. to fly on Air Force One. Uh, wow. it, it was a good job. It was a lot of, a lot of work, a lot, a lot of good work. So that was for about three or four years? Uh, about three, a little less sure. than three. Uh, yeah, and then I had... Called the detailer. She wanted me to go back to Iraq or Afghanistan, and I said, "I'm got a ten year old. I'm going to watch her grow up." So I retired. Sounds uh, very fair. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's great. Yeah. So you know, it took me a while to figure out what I wanted to do. Uh, as a younger guy, I was always up for something. You know, like with the Marines. You know, the second day I was there after I passed the test, they flew us out in a helicopter. We jumped out. We were eight miles offshore, and we swam back in. I don't know why that was cool, but it was cool. Uh, you know, there's something about jumping out of a plane, you know, a couple thousand feet, you know, you're higher, mm-hmm. and uh, just watching the ground come up on you, and then, you know, it's like, wow, I did that too. So, um, But, you know, it did take me a long time to realize I had to go to school. When I finally went to school, I graduated with 3.66 grade point average, and my mother said, I knew you could do it. Uh, <laughs> and then I finished my master's at the University of New Haven while I was at the hospital in Connecticut. Okay. And... Uh, Again, I got, I think, a 3.93, so I had almost a 4.0. So it, w- it worked out well. Yeah, getting there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's yeah. great. So your let's talk about your experience with the hospital environment sure. and hospital setting. So yeah. what, which hospital did you start at? Or I start well, my first hospital, uh, when I was a corpsman, I was at Navy Hospital Beaufort, which is right in okay. Paris Island. Sure. Uh, and I worked in the ICU. I was actually like the lead corpsman in the ICU. So we handled the patients. We, you know, dressing changes, uh, ventilator, whatever had to be done, we did it. The doctors were giving us the orders. We had nurses that would hand out the medications and all that. But we, you know, cleaning patients and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I was kind of bit by the bug. But, you know, people <laughs> say to me, how do you go from being a Navy diver to being a hospital administrator? Sure. And I say, well, there's a direct correlation. I just haven't figured it out yet. <laughs> uh, but coming to work in the hospital industry after I got out of the Navy, I went to work at Washington Adventist uh, in okay. Tacoma Park. And I was there for six years. I was a vice president of operations, and I just loved operations. I loved being involved with the delivery of food, with uh, you know, providing electricity and heat uh, to make sure you get radiology up and running, to all the things that involve ancillary services around okay. patients. And uh, I knew I knew at some point that I wanted to be a CEO of a hospital, but I couldn't be a CEO of a hospital there. The the very very strict rules. When sure. It comes to, uh, and then the open, open uh, opening uh, came down here at Calvert Health. It was Calvert Memorial Hospital at the time to be yep. the COO, Chief Operating Officer, uh-huh. possibly moving to be the CEO. Uh, and I, I took took the leap. I said to Pam, I "said What do you think?" She said, "Let's do it. Mm-hmm. Everything you wanted to do, you've always done." So. Um, 
after about two and a half years, I got the position. Mm-hmm. Uh, and after three years, I actually went into the position as a CEO. And I've been CEO now for almost four years. Wow. Yeah. So, so you mentioned, I just want to clarify that. So two and a half years as far as getting the COO role? No, uh, being in the CEO oh, okay. role to okay. get the CEO role. Gotcha. Okay. Uh, the guy, the, the the gentleman I replaced, uh, Jim uh-huh. Zinnis, was here for 27 years, and he okay. was getting ready to retire, and they were looking for succession planning for him. Got it. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. And as as far as location, I mean, it was a pretty close move, right? Yeah. I, I well, I commuted for about uh, I want to say three to four months from Laytonsville down here so it was a couple, hour, long couple months hour and a half in the morning some nights for two three hours to get home and uh we, we had the house for sale we just hadn't sold it yet sure so, sure yeah. we, and then we moved to owings and yeah uh, we have great neighbors every, every, every neighbor joe i've ever had has been the best neighbor ever. Uh, that's too so, funny yeah um that's great so all right let's see here so i have one question this is more so for my personal sake sure but so Advice for young people, uh, recent college grads mm-hmm. starting the workforce in, let's say, a pretty competitive corporate setting. Yeah. Uh, occasionally, I'm not saying every day or just me in particular, but this is a bit of a theme as far as recent grads, that you don't always feel connected with your organization's passion or, mm-hmm. or mission or the way that you're impacting the world. So... I would love to get your sense of how that's played a role in your career and especially right now. I mean, yeah. you for it, it probably might not be the best example because this is, as far as a hospital setting, one of the best places where you actually see the impact that you're yeah. making. Yeah. But if, if you have any uh, advice or just yeah maybe a means to an end type thing. Yeah. I, you know, I think... Uh I think that it's my responsibility to ensure that uh, that person is connected with the organization. Um, I, I think one of the things that I hear a lot from uh, people that are graduating right now is that I have I have a business degree and I, I should be the director of a department. And it, you, you really there is a lot of thought out there that you have to be in a lesser job for a while uh, to move yourself up. And, and what it does is, I think if you can remember this, if you could if you take this position that's down here. And it's not as big as a position that's up here, but you you thrive on what you're doing there. It's recognized, and then there's more given to you until eventually you get there. Sure. Um, I didn't take a traditional route any way, shape, or form to become a hospital administrator, and mm-hmm. that's what I want to make sure everybody understands. Don't don't follow my lead. Um, I have two young women that are working for us now uh, that are the director and the executive director of our employed physician group, and they're fantastic. Very, very smart ladies. They really do know the business inside and out. And I see them as being people to replace me someday. And I think my responsibility as a CEO to a hospital is to find somebody to replace me, my COO, my chief nurse, sure. when uh-huh. we all, you know, how when we leave or retire. Mm-hmm. I think that uh, people, younger people nowadays, get discouraged. So when I sit and I talk with them, you know, I I get calls all the time for people to sit down and talk to them about how I get to where I am. Sure. And and I just you know let them know you're going to get there. You just have to ensure that you've taken a bite of this apple and a bite of this apple, and eventually you get the whole apple. Got it. Uh, but it takes a little bit. Mm-hmm. Don't be discouraged. And if you're in a, if you're in an organization um, that doesn't take care of you, then you shouldn't be there. Mm-hmm. Um, I am a firm believer, and I am only as good as a person working on that front line. And I love talking to everybody inside of this organization every day. That's why I'm. That's why I do what I do because yeah. I have great employees. 
very hands-on management. Mm -hmm. Try make to sure your people are happy. Yeah, I learned that in the Navy. You know, uh, I had a Marine lieutenant that I worked for when I was a corpsman, uh, and the rules were that he and the gunny sergeant didn't eat until everybody else had eaten. You know, I live by that myself. Sure. You need to make sure that they're taken care of. There's, there's a book called uh, The Patient Comes Second, um, and it's about how you treat your employees in hospitals. And if you treat your employees right, they're going to take care of your patients right, and that's critical to me. I want to make sure that everybody that comes through that door knows that we're going to do the best that we can for you every single time you come mm -hmm. through it. Yeah, that's that's great. Patient comes second. Got it. I'll take a look. Uh, speaking on terms of things we just mentioned, are there any tangible things that you've done as far as bettering your employees' lives or making their, their time at work more enjoy, enjoyable or... Uh, just their overall satisfaction. It yeah. sounds like people are, are pretty happy around here. Well, I mean, there's certainly people that aren't happy. Sure. You know, and you have to find out why. Is there something going on at home? Is there something they need outside of the organization? We try and provide fair pay. Um, you know, we have to be competitive with the other hospitals. Mm -hmm. uh, we, I, since, since I've been here, the six years, it's almost seven years I've been here, um, We've given a pay raise every single year. Sometimes it's not a big one, but it's something. Uh -huh. uh, and then we try to contain the cost of health care for them. Um, we, I feel as an organization, if we can give back to them, then your employees are happier. Um, and that, in turn, applies towards your patients. So, uh -huh. you know, is the one thing I could point to to say that we've done to, you know, make people want to be here? I think it's the fact that um, we hire really good leaders. Uh, and we'll leave a position vacant for a while to make sure we get the right person in it. You uh -huh. just can't put a warm body in there and expect them to. to sure, know, sure. React. Not so much just filling seats, but right. making sure it's a good fit. Yep. Got it. So, another thing that we can discuss, if you don't mind, is the private public hospital mm -hmm. dynamic. Yeah. And as far as, as, far as I know, I, I think it's what, set, no more than seven private hospitals, in, at least in the state of Maryland. Oh, it's, uh, you're talking about uh, independent hospitals, yeah, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Every hospital in the state of Maryland is a not-for-profit. Sure, uh, sure, sure. There's three big systems, MedStar, Hopkins, uh, University of Maryland. LifeBridge is actually a big one now as well. Uh -huh. um, so, uh, you know, what I learned with Adventist Healthcare was that you could make a decision in Tacoma Park, and then it got to Rockville, and that board could overturn it and change it, what you were doing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, here in this organization, I have 20 board members, that know that we're trying to remain independent, that we're actually work with me to continue to do that. Uh -huh. um, we make a decision downstairs in the boardroom. That decision goes out from here. It doesn't have to go to anybody else for approval. Uh, so that's why being independent is better. It's harder for me because I have a hard time recruiting doctors, but you sure. know, we have ways of working around that. Mm -hmm. um, if you're talking about profit versus for-profit versus not-for-profit hospitals, in that particular case, I will always work in a not-for-profit hospital. Uh -huh. I don't think you should be profiting off of people in healthcare. Sure, it's own personal thing. We still make a profit here. You have to have a margin for your mission, mm -hmm. um, but it's not fourteen, fifteen percent. It's more like one and a half or two percent yeah. that we reinvest in this new building we're building, yeah. new equipment or technology. Uh -huh. Yeah, I was just going to mention. It sounds like it's being paid forward in the the new building next yeah. door. <laughs> yeah, and that's for our community as much as it is anybody else. I. I uh, one thing I can't stand to do is to tell somebody you can't spend the night with a loved one because you're in a semi-private room. Uh -huh. You have people in this community that have been married 40, 50, 60, 75 years that have never been apart from each other. And to tell them you can't spend the night is heartbreaking. Um, the other thing is a private room will help with the overall healing of the patient. Uh -huh. We call it mind, body, spirit. Uh, and you treat the whole patient. Awesome. So it's 40 
plus new private rooms. Yes. Right? So it'll be forty new rooms uh, in the new tower. It's about, I think it's, I want to say it's forty-eight thousand square feet. Uh, and uh, then we'll rehab the other half of the hospital and build and, and create forty additional more private rooms. So all of our med surge will be completely private rooms. Wow. And in the state of Maryland, people always ask, well, do I have to pay more money for a private room? It's the same price. Yeah, yeah, sure. Was, that, that went away a while ago. Uh-huh. So, yeah. That's great. Yeah. So this is a, something that I'm actually very curious about, which is your hospital's 100th year yeah. anniversary. Yeah. It's coming right around the corner, yep. right? So uh, is there is there anything big planned other than the... Uh, unveiling of your yeah. new building. <laughs> Actually, we're going to celebrate it for most of the year. Uh, the actual date, I believe, is March nineteenth, uh, two thousand nineteen. Cool. Uh, for the hundredth anniversary, uh, we will have a celebration in the summer, obviously, when we can have a big thing outside. Uh-huh. Uh, and then the gala next year will be surrounded around the hundredth anniversary. So we've gone back and started pulling out all the old photographs. Um, you know, the sheriff's 1919. department. Yeah, that's the original hospital. Yeah, the sheriff's yeah. department. Wow. So we have pictures actually where they built. Uh, wooden scaffolding on the outside of it so they can actually crank the patients from the first floor up to the second oh floor. Oh, my gosh. Um, and, and then we found a bunch of photos of old doctors and uh, nurses that were here many, many, many years ago. Some have passed. Um, but we're going we're gonna to celebrate it well. Uh, it's, it's a really cool thing. And you know what? Truthfully, this is the second time I've celebrated 100th anniversary. I did it at Washington of Venice in 2009. Uh, so I'm so no stranger to no, the no. celebrations. <laughs> I know what we did over there. I'm going to make sure we do some things differently. But, uh, yeah, it's cool. Got it. Yeah. That's great. Another thing that we can touch on is the your experience with, uh, what is it, the Maryland State Hospital Board? The Maryland Hospital Association. Maryland Hospital yeah. Association. Yeah. And then that transition, I guess it wasn't necessarily a, immediate transition but to the your your next board position yeah so i uh so not long after i became the ceo of the of calvert health um i was asked to be on the maryland hospital association board by uh, carmela uh coil wonderful lady she's out running the california hospital association now uh-huh. and um i'm not one to say no to things like that because i recognize the value and you know Working around the state and having to pick the phone up and asking somebody for help or or offering help to somebody, it's easier to you know when you know them uh, at that level. Uh-huh. And uh, not long after that, I took on the role of the legislative and regulatory affairs uh, board chair uh, as well. So I spent a lot of time in Annapolis when the, the policymakers were in session. Um, last year, I was uh, invited to join the regional policy board for the uh, American Hospital Association. Uh-huh. Uh, and that's mostly mid-Atlantic states. So it's uh, Pennsylvania, Maryland, Delaware, Virginia, North Carolina, and I think oh, West Virginia. Okay. Um, and what it is is you basically have the AHA board, then they have regional policy boards which provide information up back and forth. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's really cool because there's a lot of great things that are happening at a national level now that I understand uh, that I, I probably didn't understand as well before, but now you know you can get into the star rating system, the leapfrog rating system, all these other systems that are uh, out there to rate hospitals and how yep. well they're doing. So gotcha. Yeah, that yeah. just helps disperse uh, innovation and yeah. like yeah, yeah, new ideas and stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, and it's funny you mentioned that because on uh, innovation, I sit on the, um, the Vizient Mid Atlantic Board. In fact, I'm the incoming board chair, and they always talk about technology, technological advances. Um, they took us recently to see uh, 1776, uh, which is an incubator yep. for technology, and then the MI2 with um, 
uh, uh, MedStar uh, to see how they're using their technology. What I quickly realized and I explained to them is that I, I can't afford to do any of that. So when you guys get it running right, let me know and I'll buy it. Uh, because, you know, we're an independent hospital. I can't have a guy sitting in there trying to create uh, an app that's going to monitor your heart rate uh, through your Apple Watch, which will then go to a satellite, then down to a doctor. Uh-huh. You know, But when it's out there and available, I will buy it. <laughs> Got it. Uh, all right, let's see here. So... And this, this we can get into a bit of how you handle situations on the, on the job. Okay. So one thing that I have here is like during very stressful days and weeks. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure you're no stranger to very long hours. And, yeah. Uh, do you do you have any like coping mechanisms, or do you do anything in particular to make those long days more manageable? Or I'm sure you've gotten calls in the middle of the night, hey, mm-hmm. come down, we need you. Yeah, uh, yeah. Do you just uh, blunt force go straight through that and on to the next day? or? Yeah, it depends. I mean, there's certainly been... You know, we had a fire in the emergency room a couple of years ago. Uh, it was in a it was in a locker. Somebody had put some kind of smoking material or something in a trash can that wound up in the... The, the storage area where trash was. It, it wasn't big. And one of our nurses was awesome. He actually is a volunteer fireman. He put it out before the <laughs> fire department got here. So you got to come down for things like that. You have, yeah. you have to be visible. That's one of the things I'd say. Um, you know, long days, uh, we try and limit it to two nights a week that I'm out. Uh, although the last couple of weeks it's been four nights. Sure. Uh, because this is that time of year where you have not only Christmas parties, but you have uh, extended meetings for the different boards. And uh-huh. Year end, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but as far as coping with stress, um, you know, it builds up on you. You have to take time off. Pam and I will go away and travel somewhere. Um, mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I, I just kind of have my own way of dealing with it. Some, sometimes it's good, sometimes it's not. I'm not, I'm not a yelling, screaming kind of person. Uh, <laughs> I was young when I was younger. Now it, it just doesn't make any sense. So, uh-huh. you know, as you get older, you get wiser. Sure. You realize, hmm, I can handle this a little differently. Not necessary. Yeah. <laughs> right, right, yeah. Uh, any vacations planned for the new year? Or uh, So we do have one, and I can't tell you what it is because it's a Christmas present for somebody. Okay. So I'll leave it at Got that. Got it. <laughs> uh, uh, but uh, Pam and I will be going to uh, the Cayman Islands. Uh, so we're part of an insurance captive. Uh-huh. Uh, for, so there's five hospitals in the state of Maryland that share uh, the malpractice insurance together, uh, and IRS regulations require you to go offshore twice a year so. Uh, we'll be going to the Cayman Islands. I have to go down to meet the bank. Uh, and what ha- typically happens is Pam and I will go a couple days earlier and spend some time on the beach, maybe scuba dive or just, you know, <laughs> just, just cool out. Do you, you still do some diving? Periodically. Yeah. 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 Nothing, nothing major. You don't need to go any deeper than 25 feet. Uh, anything below that, you lose the color, and uh, it's just oh. not as good. So 25 feet is Gets perfect. Gets a little dark. No, it's, you know, as the light gradient comes down through, everything turns to grayscale. Uh-huh. Uh, so, you know, 25 feet is perfect. <laughs> Got it. Uh, so, again, like I'm just asking some some questions, uh, m- more so personal. But sure. do you have any like role models or anyone? Maybe how have your role models changed throughout your career? Yeah. Or it sounds like you really looked up to your father growing up. Yeah. My yeah. My dad was a he's a retired police officer. So I saw one of your questions was how would you introduce yourself <laughs> to a stranger? And I always go up to him and I say, Hi, my name is Dean Teague. 
and please call me Dean. Uh, because in the Navy, they refer to you as Mr. Teague when you're an officer. Of a lot of people on here will call me Mr. Teague, and I have to remind him he's alive and well in Massachusetts. So, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, so he was a role model. Uh, and Pam's dad was as well. Uh, they're just, they were two great men who took care of the families and were married for, you know, well over 50 years. In fact, my parents' anniversary is next week. They'll be 55 years. Um, so, you know, you see how your parents do things, and you say to yourself, what am I doing? What, what can I do better? Um, you know, when it comes to mentoring and things that I've learned, some of the worst bosses I have are the ones I learned the most from. Uh, I had one person that I worked with who undermined everything everybody did and had a series of people that were kind of his henchmen to go out to make everybody look bad. Uh-huh. And uh, I learned that I would never be that person. I will never be a micromanager. I will be a person who leads uh, from above with a group of folks. Uh, and, you know, I can call a shot if I need to, but I don't usually need to because we have a great group of uh Sure. Vice presidents here that help me with it. So. Uh huh. Yeah. So that's that's even something I've learned from my father. You know, as a as a small business owner, yep. just the fact that you can't grow and run a successful business mm-hmm. if you can't trust who you've delegated yep. your responsibilities to, right? Yeah. 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 And uh, another thing that I've listened to or read recently is is the theoretical error rate of mm-hmm. someone who you've delegated responsibilities to yeah. and just you know hoping that that is as low as possible and you know it and knowing that it won't be zero ever right you know just knowing that hey my vps will make decisions that i wouldn't personally have made sure so and just understanding the yeah. give and take between that well i think it comes down to trust uh-huh. um, you know i have uh I have a deep-seated trust in, in my executive team. Uh-huh. They, they know that they have got, you know, and is, they, they would never betray it because they know with me, you, you get one shot and then that's it. And we're going to, we're going <laughs> to. Sure. And, and it comes down to, I will always be honest to them. Uh, I will tell you when I'm wrong and I will tell you when I'm right. And I need you to do the same with me. Uh, I have, this is a theory I have. Um, and I tell all the new employees this. Uh, if you were to make a mistake and you blow up the back half of the building, when I get there, don't tell me you don't know what happened. Tell me <laughs> what happened with a mistake. We'll both probably be out of a job, but at least we have honesty, and that's what you know. That's, sure. that's the most important thing in the world to me. One thing you can fall back on. Yep. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Got it. And so that goes into handling negative criticism, sort of. Yeah. Uh, do you oftentimes prescribe negative uh, or like areas of improvement let's say or uh, well I've, nobody ever talks negatively about me and I have nowhere to improve I just want to make that clear <laughs> no, kidding. Uh, you know we get it all the time people second guess you uh, people uh, you know sometimes they just don't like the way that I do business uh-huh. that, that's okay sure. I think as long as I'm doing what's right for the organization and the company and for my family then that's all I have uh, you learn from everything you do um, there will always be people that have, uh, like, for example, in the hospital industry, there's always somebody who's going to say that this place is terrible. Uh, and my goal is to prove to them that it's not. Um, in fact, there's a family right now that uh, that is uh, that I'm dealing with who three years ago they would never have come back to this hospital. I took them all to dinner. The father sat there with his arms crossed for about two hours, and then his arms came down and he said, I really think you're trying to make a change there, and I'm going to support you. And they do. You know, if there's an issue, they'll call me. Uh, but for the most part, that has never been an issue because, again, I want to make sure that we're doing what's right by those people. Uh-huh. Love it. Plus having a good team working on, you know, when there is a patient complaint, getting back to them right away. 
Um, the other thing that I typically do is if we get a complaint is I will pick the phone up and call that person. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times they just want to be heard. You can spend 30 minutes on the phone with somebody, 25 minutes they're talking at you, and then the last five minutes you're trying to figure out how you can solve the problem. Sure, sure. You know, people just want to be heard and they want to know that their point was made. Mm-hmm. It goes for your employees as well. Sometimes the employees aren't happy with what we're doing. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, I have president's panel every quarter where we bring in frontline staff. They sit down with me uh, at breakfast and, you know, what's going on? What, are you cons- what's, what is going on in your world that you're worried about? And, and I get things that I would never think about. I'll give you an example right outside this window here. We just changed this set of stairs because a patient had complained to one of my nurses in oncology that it was uneven and hard for them to get up and down, especially in the winter. So we made a ramp and put safety rails on it. Wow. I, never, I never would have thought of that yeah. if she hadn't come up with that. You know, uh-huh. um, We had a patient who complained about uh, out in the front of the old, the, the old front entrance that'll be back. Buses were racing through there because we didn't have speed bumps. So we put two speed bumps in on the recommendation of this person, and boy, traffic slowed down like that. Wow. You know? It's just listening to your feedback and yeah. actually doing something about it, yeah. right? That's just it, though. If you tell somebody you're going to do something, you have to do it. Sure. You know, follow through. Unless it's the wrong thing to do, but you have to follow through. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And if it's not the right thing, you pick the phone up and say, this isn't going to work and here's why. Mm-hmm. Sure. That's actually uh, something that I was, uh, in my brief research, I, I saw that people can actually send send you feedback. Mm-hmm. So yep. do, you, do you get a lot of that? And any, uh, any fun <laughs> stories? Or <laughs> I'm sure there are some, some fun things you've... I wouldn't say we get a lot. Uh, we do. We do get some some suggestions that you you sit back and you think, oh, "Wow, how do they? Where are they going uh-huh. with this one?" You know. Yeah. Um, trying to think of some of the ones we've had that uh, that are pretty basic. Uh, one of them was uh, to put a bench in across the parking lot because people that have had infusion or they're you know been in the hospital for a while, it's too far for them to walk to their car. So at least they got a place to stop and sure. sit. Huh. And now we have them inside of the front lobby as well, just because we want to make sure that if somebody's waiting for a car to come pick them up, they're not standing outside in the cold. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's just simple things like that. Mm-hmm. that you know, I I wouldn't have thought of it myself because I'm I'm a middle aged healthy person, <laughs> and uh, you know I don't need to necessarily stop and sit on a bench for a while. Uh huh. So sure. And I mean, those are probably the things that people would come here and after those are implemented wouldn't quite notice even right but if they're not there you notice right, right? yep so yeah that's cool. true <laughs> <laughs> so i mean that goes into just the fact that this industry is pretty high touch you get a lot of feedback i mean yeah like i said goes going back to the uh levels of separation between you providing value it's mm-hmm. like you're one and one with the patient most of the time so well you have to remember there's levels of patient so um sure. you have the uh the elderly patient who's in multi-system failures uh there's probably an advocate is probably a son or a daughter or a husband or whoever uh, and you have as much responsibility to that person as you do to the person in the bed mm-hmm. because they're not going to complain in the bed the advocate's going to be the one that's going to say that no a nurse didn't come in to see my mother today and that's when we've done something wrong. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, the mother's in the bed is not going to say it because she's concerned that you know at midnight, uh, you know, my daughter's not going to be here. I, I just don't want to be in that position. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, behavioral health patients. <clears throat> I mean, any given day, we probably have ten to fifteen that come in. Uh, you know, w- uh, via the sheriff or the state police. Um, sure. And our job is wow. to find out what what is the underlying issue. Is it a is it a 
is it a behavioral health issue? You know, is it bipolar? Uh, is it bipolar with uh, an opioid addiction? Mm-hmm. You know, so you have to you have to temper your audience with who you're dealing with at the time. Um, it just you know when you're talking to a mother and there's a child there and the child is sick uh, the mother is not going to be acting in a way that would be considered mother or the father or even myself you know when my daughter would get sick and she'd have ear infections and she'd get a, I want somebody in the room now to take a look at her to figure out why this kid has a fever you know once the fever comes down and the child's be, you know uh, doing better then the parents tend to come down as well and you know a lot of times they apologize because they were abrupt uh, but you know it's understandable. It's it's where they were in that particular time. Sure. Yeah. Makes perfect sense. And so that goes into even just the size of this county and yeah. the number of patients that you could potentially serve in a, a given year. Yeah. What it, our county is what ninety plus thousand. Well, yeah. If you talk our, our total service area, some it's in St. Mary's and some of it's up in Anne Arundel as well. Okay. Uh, so we, we have what we call 125,000 covered lives. That's wow. basically what we're responsible for. Uh, we'll do 42,000 emergency room visits this year. Uh, we're going to deliver about 700 babies. Um, we will Our urgent care centers will see well over um, 60,000 people between the three of them. Wow. Um, and so, you know, there's, these, these are pretty big numbers when you start thinking about it. Uh, and it... it it's just controlled. It's, uh, again, having great people that can understand. You know, when the emergency room gets busy and I get a phone call and they're asking to go on code yellow, which means um, we're very busy. If you could go to another facility, it would be better. Mm-hmm. Um, I get concerned because I don't, I don't want to go to another facility. Uh-huh. But usually I'll pick up the phone I'll call the charge nurse and ED and say, what do you have? And, yep, go ahead and do it. Uh, and, and code red means no ambulances come here whatsoever. They have to go somewhere else. Okay. Uh, we have been on red, I think, for a total of 40 minutes this year. Wow. Uh, because I don't want them on red ever. I don't ever want to have a patient that um, that could have been seen here, but we weren't able to take care of uh-huh. them. You know, I had a situation when I was on the Comfort. It was a real quick war story. Yeah. yeah first, yeah. Night, first night of the war, there were three helicopters coming into the Comfort. Uh, two of them had Marines. One of them had Iraqis, uh, soldiers that had been wounded. Uh-huh. As they're coming in, the helicopter with the Iraqi soldiers declares an emergency. So he's got to hit the deck first. And uh, <clears throat> got him in, uh, and then the helicopter broke down. I only had one spot on the Comfort. So now i got two helicopters flying around with wounded Marines on it that I can't get on board. Yeah. <clears throat> my first thought was to push the helicopter off the side of the ship. Probably wouldn't have uh, gone very far in my Navy career if we did that. <laughs> uh, the second thought was we managed to figure out how to push it all the way to the back and tie it against the rail so that we still had a spot open. Um, those two helicopters wound up hitting other ships to get fuel uh, and come back in. It's always being available to take care of somebody, and especially when it comes to your community. You got to, you know, I can't, I can't go to the county commissioners and say, "Oh, I'm sorry, I was on code red the other night because we didn't have enough nurses working." You know, that is not where we're ever at. Uh huh. So. Wow, that's that's a great story. Uh, another thing that revolves around that is your efforts to expand the availability of your resources let's just say and one thing that i'm thinking of is the mobile center yeah and mobile health center. yeah that sounds like it was a pretty new like establishment it's sort of i'm not sure if you're like testing that or if it's (laughs) well operational i'd like to say it was all my idea but uh no there's uh, other organizations that have been running them for a number of years Uh Uh, we actually raised the money in 2006 16 at the Harvest Ball, uh, they raised over $300,000 to buy this mobile van. 
Um, and what we did was we set up the mobile van so not only can see regular patients, but we can see dental patients as well. So our, our goal is to get into communities where people don't have transportation to get to us, mm-hmm. bring it into their community so they can get to it, and then we can provide the care that they need uh, in their community. So uh, the other thing we do is we like to send it to sporting events because it's a great advertising piece for Calvert Health as well. <laughs> uh, so, you know, we hand out our stuff and say, we're Calvert Health and we're here to help. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, it's a it's a it is a great program, and I, I do appreciate you pointing that out. Yeah, yeah, um, and you mentioned the three emergency locations or the urgent care center. Okay. Yeah, so we have three urgent cares: Solomon's, Prince Frederick, and Dunkirk. Okay, uh, and in fact, uh, last week a press release went out. We just partnered with a company called Choice One uh, to run those for us. Uh, it's a split ownership between us and them, and uh, they're going to be open from eight to eight now instead of. Uh, 2 to 10, so 8 in the morning till 8 in the afternoon, uh, which gives us more opportunity to serve the community. The other opportunity we, we got with this is that now we have the ability to provide occupational health at those centers, which we haven't been able to do in the past. So DOT, physicals, police, the sheriff, fire department, we can do all that for them. Mm-hmm. So it's just expanding our services more out in the county as well. Sure, yeah. And um, that makes perfect sense. Choice one? Yep. Sure. Yeah, they're a good company. They're a they're, um, they've been around. They actually partnered with the University of Maryland, uh, with Peninsula Regional, and a number of others. And how they how they logo it is they say Choice One Urgent Care Center in partnership with Calvert Health, and it has our logo on it as well. So they have University of Maryland's logo, and they have. <laughs> there were some concerns that we were selling it to the University of Maryland, but we're yeah we're not. <laughs> we're, we're clearly going to be an independent hospital for a while. <laughs> sure. It sounds like it's a great opportunity. Um, another thing that that we can go into is, if you don't mind, which this is something that I'm personally curious about, um, medevacs. Yeah. And um, maybe your experiences with that. And I'm very fascinated personally with just helicopters in general. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, if, yeah. If you don't mind touching on on no, that. No, not at all. <laughs> no, I, I, I'm used to uh, much bigger helicopters than when we get here. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, a CH-53 can hold 26 patients, a 46 could hold 18. I think a 47 can hold uh, closer to 21. Patients? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, and they stack them like cordwood inside, and then they can fly them in. So uh, wow. those two helicopters that night each had 12 on them, uh, 12 Marines that have been wounded. Uh, but the, the ones that come in here now are typically from MedStar. Uh, MedStar okay. has placed a helicopter over at St. Mary's Airport for Southern Maryland. Um, it's about six to ten minutes from the notification to get off the ground, to get in the air, to get here. Okay. Uh, so they can be here relatively quickly. And all of our wow. cardiac, for example, if you come in with a heart attack, we're sending you to Washington Hospital Center. We have an agreement with them. Uh, they have 26 cath labs. They do about 22,000 heart attacks a year up there. So they're very, very efficient at what they do. Six to ten minutes. Yeah. And what we do now is we have the ability to actually load a patient from uh, a county ambulance stretcher to an air medevac stretcher while it's still running and load them in so they can get them up there quicker. Okay. Uh, there's a magic <clears throat> time. It's called the door-to-balloon time uh, or feel the balloon time. The balloon is the catheter they put in the heart and they open up the, the heart attack itself. Uh-huh. Uh, and that's usually 90 minutes. It okay. want to be 90 minutes from the first onset, uh, the first EKG to the putting the balloon in, in the, the artery and getting it opened up. Gotcha. And we're pretty close. We're, you know, even though we don't do it here, we can still get them up there quick enough. It's an 11-minute flight uh, and, and take care of that. Wow. Yeah, it's it's not cheap, uh, but it does sure. save lives. It does okay. save lives. How does that work as far as the the pilots 
are concerned, are they more or less on like permanent retainers or? Yeah, so they actually have uh, hired pilots. In fact, I was talking to one the other night. We had two the other night. We had one ambulance, uh, one air ambulance helicopter on the pad. They had the other one in the parking lot because um, we had two people that needed to fly out. And I was talking to him. He lives in Delaware. He has his own private helicopter that he flies down oh here and gosh. he spends a week down here wow. uh, doing medevacs and then he goes yeah. back up. So Okay. Yeah. Uh, uh, we, I, you know, it's funny. I actually saw um, uh, a couple of senators that uh, were Air Force or Army pilots that on the weekend they would fly medevac helicopters. And, you know, it's kind of weird when you get off the helicopter. Wow. Like, Isn't that uh, Senator so-and-so? And like, yeah, that's him. <laughs> you know, you go up and talk to him, and he says, yeah, I'm just flying medevacs today. So That's too cool. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, that's typically uh, those pilots, most of them have been in a ser- the services of some. I-, I would say some of them. I wouldn't say all of really? them. Really? Okay. Yeah. But they're looking for pilots with a lot of hours before they hire them to do yeah, medevac. Yeah, of course, of course. Yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. Sure. That's, that's cool stuff. <laughs> uh, so... Lastly, as we move a bit towards wrapping up, uh, any any like last minute advice? And I just wanted to reiterate your advice as far as young people getting getting ahead in the workplace. Yeah. You mentioned, and this is me uh, summarizing a bit, but essentially doing things that maybe not everyone wants to do and doing a, a very good job at it. That yeah. way, you potentially could be delegated more responsibilities mm-hmm. that. Yeah, snowballs from there, right? Yeah, I'll give you an example. If you go downstairs right now, the, the three ladies that are sitting by the ED, because we, uh-huh. we, ha- we happen to be in the hospital, yeah, um, they're uh, they're doing admitting. So when they when they move from admitting, they move up into billing, they move up into the director billing, they move to an AVP to a vice president. So uh-huh. there's, there's a path for them. Sure, you can't. It, we typically bring somebody in at the director level who's been a director at another place for you know three to five years. That's one thing I always remember. You know when. You look at a job, like, you need to be in this job three to five years. And I've said in the past myself, I don't think I need three to five years in this position. And then I've done three and five years in the position and realized what a benefit it is to understand that role as well as you can before you move to the next role. Because you you really have to understand the basic in and out day to day. Um, I'm not saying that they should come in and start in housekeeping and work their way up to being a, a CFO. Um, <laughs> sure. But I'll, I'll tell you, we we do have people that have done that. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a charge nurse. He's downstairs today. Started pushing wheelchairs. He was a, he was a transporter. Then he became a tech. Then he became a nurse. Then he got his bachelor's. Then he became a charge nurse. Now he's the lead in the ED. Wow. He started here when he was 16. So it can be done. You just uh-huh. have to you have to be dedicated to it. You know. Yeah. There's always yeah. a bright side. No matter, there's going to be certain things nobody wants to do. But you know what? If if you take a chance on it, or the organization takes a chance on you, prove to me you can do it. Mm-hmm. Do it well, and then that'll be recognized. You know, I know sure. who I know who the people are that, you know, I'm looking at to be the next chief nurse. Mm-hmm. Uh, and one of them is a nurse who's only been a nurse for two years. She just came out of uh, College of Southern Maryland. She started as a transporter in, uh, in radiology. Catherine's her name. Um, she'll be a charger someday. She will. She's a smart girl. She's got good head on her shoulders, great with patient care, uh, and she's got the right personality for it. Wow. That's that's awesome to hear you yeah. talk, talk about that, yeah. like uh, to certain people. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, so your CEO role, yeah. it sounds like that has been many years in the making. Uh, or uh, to put differently, you mentioned... It sounds like probably 15 years ago you, you said, I want to be CEO of a hospital one day. Yeah. Yeah, I would say that. I would actually say uh, 
a friend of mine, Bruce Grimshaw, and I were both going to night school at University of New Haven, and we'd drive down from Groton to, it's an hour, uh-huh. and that's all we talked about was, what do you want to do someday? I, I said I always wanted to be a COO, and then I was a COO, and then I became a CEO. He, he's the same. He's yeah. the CEO of a large hospital corporation that has 100 hospitals. Wow. Um, so he's, he's, he's a bright guy. He's a good friend, good person. Uh, I, you know, I had to go through the Navy career because I had I needed that 10 years of being uh, a knucklehead. You know, the guy was like, <laughs> oh, well, I should go to survival school and spend, you know, like 10 days in the woods all by myself to figure out, you know, can I actually do this? And uh-huh. then, you know, it was, uh, you know, being a Navy diver, the best job I ever had in my entire life. I would get up in the morning and say, oh, I'm going to get in the water today. Um, it didn't matter if it was cold, if it was hot, if it was, you know, you couldn't see or whatever. I was breathing underwater. <laughs> and that was the greatest thing to me. And I loved doing welding. I loved to fix stuff. I loved to do all the things that I did. But you know, being a CEO has been special to me. I, I will tell you that I have four years left on this contract. Uh-huh. Uh, and then, you know, I'll be 58. Do I retire? Do I go do something different? The hardest part for me is going to be leaving the employees of this organization. When I have to do it at the time, the time has to be right because I don't want to feel like I let them down. And, and that's what it comes down to for me. So I actually picked up reading Patient Comes Second and wanted to distill some of the leadership advice that it provides. Uh, As the authors are very proud of the controversial title, they continuously provide firsthand examples of how their company has benefited from ensuring that their employees are committed to their organization's purpose and that they are individually passionate about the industry that they chose to be a part of. And... One particular philosophy that the authors discuss regarding their organization, Barrel Health, is the virtuous cycle that follows when employees are cared for by their employer. So I'm adding a step or two in between here, but in general, the concept is happy employees leads to better patient or customer satisfaction. Greater customer satisfaction leads to greater volume of customers or patients seen and with increased volume comes the organization being able to reach financial economies of scale and this allows them to uh, appropriately and healthily cut costs and I say healthily because a lot of times organizations seek to cut costs when that isn't very realistic so With lower costs, organizations are able to realize greater profit margins and uh, higher bottom line profits. Essentially, they have more money at the end of the day. And lastly, with uh, greater margins and profits, the organization is able to more efficiently and generously invest back into their employees. So this connects the the circle or the, the cycle there And so this is just something that I think that a lot of leaders could benefit from hearing as it's not necessarily uh, easily measured or nor is it instinctively intuitive. But just a fun excerpt from the book there. And so this book, although it is focused on healthcare administration and that industry, it is definitely applicable to employers and leaders in general that serve a customer at the end of the day that could benefit from their employees being more satisfied with their work and their organization. 
And lastly, so this is by no means a, a paid promotion, just simply my quick take on Dean's recommended book. So thanks again, everyone, and I hope to see you in the next one.